0: Before we begin, don't forget that if you want to hear this episode ad-free, then sign up to our members' channel. Just search for What's the Story Crime in Apple Podcasts, or follow the link in our show notes. Members will get exclusive access to all episodes of Smoking Gun, completely ad-free, before anyone else. Cool fact.
2: The man had always loved pizza, ever since he was a little boy. The molten cheese, the slight resistance when he sunk his teeth into the flour-dusted crust, the salty tang of an anchovy, and the sweetness of the tomato sauce. You couldn't beat it. He had his favourite pizza joints, of course. Who didn't? But if he was honest, he wasn't fussy. He tossed one remaining crust back into the grease-stained box and wiped his mouth with his sleeve. Lunch of kings, he thought to himself. He stuffed the box clumsily into a trash can on the sidewalk. It's a scene played out hundreds of times every day in all corners of the world. But rarely do those actions lead to a killer being identified or a crime being solved. Only rarely... Does the contents of a takeaway pizza box provide the smoking gun which can send a dangerous killer behind bars. My name is Sarah Henderson. I've always been fascinated by the world of forensic science, the amazing ways in which crimes can be solved and the clues which can be found almost anywhere. And my name is Tracy Alexander
0: from Forensic Response UK. I've spent years inside these processes, searching for those clues. I've dedicated my career to using science to help the course of justice. And my work has ensured that hundreds of criminals have gone to prison and the wrongly accused go free.
2: Together, we're going to lift the lid on some of the most extraordinary cases from around the world. We'll discover how, with the help of science, everyday items have become the key to catching a killer. From What's The Story Sounds, this is Smoking Gun. The Pizza Crust.
0: The call handler could hear the woman's heavy breathing and the thud of her footsteps. She was clearly running, fast. And during the 23 minutes the woman's phone was connected to 911, she spoke sporadically, perhaps dipping in and out of signal, or only being able to muster up breath to speak in between strides as she ran for her life. They're trying
1: to kill me,
0: she said in a ragged voice. Who? Who is? the call handler asked. Calm, but urgent, as she'd been trained to be. She pressed the headset to her ear, trying to hear the crucial pieces of information delivered in the woman's breathless answers. She thought she heard her say, My client. And finally, she managed to get the woman's name. Shannon. Soon after, the line went dead. Just after 5am in the morning. Shannon turned out to be Shannon Gilbert, who was 24 and made her living as a sex worker in the Oak Beach and Gilgo Beach area, where she'd operated for some time. She'd frantically knocked on the door of several residences as she ran, but no one answered, and those ragged breaths and desperate words during the 911 call were the last time she was ever heard from. There was no trace of her and no way to tell who her client had been, or where the house she'd been fleeing was. Investigators speculated that perhaps Shannon was laying low somewhere, or in hiding from the person she believed was trying to hurt her. But when, a month after her disappearance, still no one had heard from her, not her friends or her family, the Suffolk County Police Department's Missing Persons Bureau decided they needed to take determined action. And that action came in the form of a highly experienced cadaver dog named blue that summer blue the german shepherd searched the entirety of the grassy dunes and brush in the gated community of oak beach where shannon was last seen oak beach itself is a secluded semi-private community at the eastern end of jones beach island a barrier island between the Atlantic Ocean and the Great South Bay of Long Island. It's quiet, not a tourist haven, mainly accessible via Suffolk County's Ocean Parkway, a a 15-and-a-half-mile stretch of road that runs between Jones Beach and Captree State Parks. The parkway acts as an artery to various beach towns frequented by upmarket New Yorkers in the summer as well as a through-route for all kinds of commuters. It's a melting pot of cultures and Americans from across the socio-economic spectrum. And, based on the year that followed, it transpires that the parkway is also the perfect place to dump a body. That said, for weeks, Blue the dog detected nothing, not once signalling the alert that he picked up the scent of a cadaver. But then on december the 11th as a light dusting of snow lay on the ground blue reacted his tail stiff and his barks piercing the air as he alerted his handler to a patch of thick vegetation on the side of the road concealed within the bracken was a dirty brown burlap bag the officer knew blue's tells and he knew what he was about to find in that bag the skeletal remains of a young woman, presumably Shannon Gilbert. Blue had done his job, but the search didn't stop there. In fact, it expanded outwards from the site where the body was discovered. A scene of crime officers scoured for further evidence. But no one could have bargained for what they found, because it was inconceivable that within weeks... Four more skeletons, or skeletal remains, all partially buried or dumped within 500 metres from one another, would be dug up. It was like something from a horror movie. Postmortems were carried out on each of the bodies discovered, as pathologists tried to determine the identities of the people who'd been brought to the mortuary, as well as how they died. But in a shocking twist which surprised everyone... Not one of them was missing person Shannon Gilbert, the woman who'd sparked the entire search in the first place. So, who were these women who'd soon become known in the press as the Gilgo Four?
2: Maureen Brainard, a 25 year old mother of two, left home on the 9th of July 2007, telling her family she was planning to spend the day in New York City which wasn't technically a lie. Maureen had recently been advertising her services as a sex worker on Craigslist to try and meet her mortgage payments. And there had been no shortage of responses. That night, Maureen called a friend and told her that she was planning on meeting a client outside the Manhattan Super 8 Motel. That was the last time she was ever heard from. Melissa Bartholomew was from Erie County in New York and had also been advertising her services on Craigslist. It was the easiest way to find clients. The petite blonde was last seen on the evening of the 12th of July 2009 in the Union Port section of the Bronx. She told her roommate she was meeting a man and would be back in the morning. Melissa's mother reported her missing on July 18th. Records for her cell phone showed activity in Manhattan, as well as Freeport, Massapequa, and Lindenhurst on Long Island. Megan Waterman was 22, from Maine, and had recently become a sex worker. At 1:30 a.m. on June 6th, she left the Holiday Inn Express on Long Island where she was staying to meet a client. Finally, Amber Costello. She was 27 and lived in a small town just north of Gilgo Beach. She was a sex worker like the other girls. The night of her disappearance, the 2nd of September, 2010. She had reportedly went to meet a stranger who had called her several times and offered $1,500 for her services. Amber, who was addicted to heroin, wasn't immediately reported missing, as her family believed she was in rehab And that was the reason she wasn't responding to her messages. All these women's bodies would give up clues as to the events which led them to be discovered on Ocean Parkway. And aside from where they were found, there was a strong reason to think these women's deaths could be connected. Shortly after Maureen's disappearance, Sarah, a friend of hers, received a phone call from a man with a Boston accent the man claimed that he had just seen Maureen and that she was alive and staying at a whorehouse in Queens. He wouldn't say who he was and never called back. One week after Melissa went missing, her teenage sister Amanda received a series of vulgar mocking and insulting calls from a man using Melissa's cell phone. The caller asked if Amanda was a whore like her sister. And it wasn't a one-off. The calls lasted for five weeks, becoming more graphic and horrifying in content, until finally the caller revealed that Melissa was dead, and he planned to watch her rot. Police traced some of the calls to Madison Square Garden, Midtown Manhattan and Massapequa, but were unable to determine who was making them. Surely, police reasoned, such a specific MO mean the girls were killed by the same man. In some cases, either before or after the body was discovered, witness testimony proved to be particularly valuable. In Amber's case, witnesses told investigators that a client she met the day she went missing had visited her home previously. They described the man as a large, white male Approximately six foot four to six foot six in height, with big oval style glasses. Another witness said the man resembled an ogre and drove a first generation Chevrolet Avalanche. The sex work in Gilgo Beach area was never risk free. An overzealous punter, always the threat of violence, an occupation shrouded in darkness. But this was unprecedented. Ocean Parkway now looked like the scene from a movie, a tapestry of white tents cordoned off by police tape. The rumours of a serial killer had rumbled for years since girls started going missing in around 1996. But now this was much more than street corner gossip. An ogre was on the loose. This was reality. Reality.
0: And the horror didn't stop there. As the search area widened, spreading out further across Ocean Parkway, the familiar sound of a police yell or a whistle alerted officers to yet more gruesome discoveries. In March 2011, the remains of Poughkeepsie-born Jessica Taylor were found. Jessica had been living in Manhattan when she went missing on July 21st 2003, aged just 20. If the same man was killing these women, police reasoned Jessica was one of his very first victims. Jessica's torso had been found eight years previously, just days after her disappearance. It had been placed on some plastic sheeting and laid on top of a wood pile on an access road in Manorville, Suffolk County. Later that year, experts were able to identify her through DNA comparison and a tattoo on her right hip, despite the killer's attempts to mutilate the tattoo with a knife. Now, all these years later, police were carefully excavating Jessica's skull, hands and forearm from the ground near Gilgo Beach. Originally, police had suspected her pimp, a man called Remy, as being Jessica's murderer. But now it seemed like she was part of something much bigger and much more sinister than a domestic dispute taken to the extreme. After all, Remy could not be connected to the three further sets of remains, which would be found just a month later. Though with the discoveries yet to come, the pattern established by the previous bodies seemed to diverge. Could there be more than one serial killer on the loose? In April, police unearthed the bones of a female toddler, an Asian male, and a woman called Valerie Mack, partial remains of whom, like those of Jessica Taylor, had been found in Manorville years earlier, in the year 2000. Valerie's torso was found wrapped in garbage bags and dumped in the woods near an Ocean Parkway intersection way back then. And now, her head, right foot, and hands had been found. The right foot had been cut off high above the ankle, which investigators believed was to conceal an identifying mark or tattoo, which would have led to her identity. Police had to methodically work through each case like a jigsaw, trying to establish the likelihood of them being connected. The details of Valerie's death, her dismemberment, and the disposal of her body were too similar to Jessica Taylor's to be coincidental, and police determined they were both killed by the same person. Then, two more bodies were found in Nassau County, 65 miles from Suffolk County, at the other end of the parkway. Karen Forgotta, whose partial remains had previously been found on Fire Island in 1996, as well as an unidentified woman with a distinctive tattoo of peaches, who was later found to be the mother of the unidentified toddler found in Suffolk County. So many bodies, some with similarities and others with glaring distinctions. 34-year-old Karen Vagottas severed legs were found in a garbage bag in 1996, and she was given the name Fire Island Jane Doe. Fifteen years later, the skull and some teeth from the same body were found in Nassau County, allowing Karen to be formally identified through DNA testing. It seemed like she'd been victim to the same person as Valerie and Jessica. And while DNA testing was revealing the names of the majority of the victims so far, there were some who weren't so lucky and remain unidentified to this day. On June 28, 1997, the dismembered torso of an unidentified young African-American woman was found at Hempstead Lake State Park, New York. The torso was found in a green plastic container, which was dumped next to a road along the west side of the lake. Investigators reported that the victim had a tattoo on her left breast of a heart-shaped peach. The peach tattoo had a bite taken out of it, with two drips falling from its core. More of her body parts were discovered 14 years later. And while her name has never been confirmed, the woman was determined to be the mother of the toddler found on April the 4th 2011. The toddler, believed to be around 20 months old, was wrapped in a blanket and, mercifully, showed no visible signs of trauma. On that same day, the body of a young Asian male who died from blunt force trauma was also discovered at Gilgo Beach, very close to where the first four sets of remains had been found in December 2010. This victim was found wearing women's clothing and may have possibly been a transgender woman. The autopsy revealed they'd been dead between five and seven years. Eleven bodies, all murdered and found in Gilgo Beach between 1996 and 2011. But who was responsible? Was the same person the cause of all this carnage? And would they ever be brought to
2: justice? Numerous theories abounded. Initially, police believed that one person was responsible for the deaths of Valerie Mack and Jessica Taylor, and another man, the rest. But the bodies discovered have long been categorized together, presumed to have been killed by a man dubbed the Long Island serial killer. The similarities between the bodies found naked, mutilated, and dismembered before burial and the proximity of where they were dumped. It could feasibly be one perpetrator who'd been operating in the area for years, specifically targeting sex workers. And authorities issued a $25,000 reward for information leading to an arrest. And while police sifted through the leads which came into the hotline, the final body was found the woman who'd sparked the entire investigation, Shannon Gilbert. Shannon's remains were discovered in a boggy marsh in Oak Beach in December 2011, 19 months after her disappearance and the harrowing 911 phone call. A week earlier, her clothes had been discovered nearby, so police knew they were honing in. However, the manner of her death wasn't as obvious as the others. There was no body mutilation She was intact, and her lungs were filled with water. Her family, particularly Shannon's mother, Mari, spoke publicly, stating that she believed her daughter had been a victim of the Long Island Beach Killer. However, this was contested by police and pathologists, who said it was likely Shannon had drowned. There was no doubt she was in danger that night, but we'll never know conclusively if the man she was running from caught up with her and caused her death or if she died tragically, but accidentally, in her attempt to flee. Either way, a killer needed to be caught. Based on his pattern of behaviour, there was no reason to think he'd stop, and there were some promising leads to be pursued. The first of which was the mitochondrial DNA profile from a male hair, which had been found in the bottom of the burlap bag containing the body of Megan Waterman and was waiting for DNA technology to become specific enough to pinpoint subjects with more accuracy. But it wasn't a quick process. In fact, it would take years for the case to progress in any meaningful way, even with the FBI joining proceedings in 2015. Some of the victims, including Valerie, Karen and Melissa Taylor, weren't formally identified by DNA until years after their discovery. But eventually, in 2017, in the first big break of a case which had gripped the East Coast, Suffolk County Prosecutor Robert Biancavilla officially named a suspect, John Bittrolf. Bittrolf was a Suffolk County resident already convicted of murdering two sex workers and suspected of murdering a third. Moreover, there were startling similarities in the M.O. of his killings. Then his locality. Bitrolf lived in Manorville, just 30 miles from where the torsos of Gilgo Beach victims Jessica Taylor and Valerie Mack were recovered. Bitrolf was also a hunter and enjoyed killing animals. As well as being a carpenter by trade, with access to hacksaws and electric saws, Because many of the bodies were found so precisely dismembered, his access to and proficiency with these tools added to the weight of the theory he was the man responsible. Then there was the fact that the adult daughter of one of Bittrell's victims was also the best friend of Melissa Bartholomew, one of the Gilgo Beach victims. This was surely not a coincidence. So was this it? Was John Bittrolf, the Long Island serial killer. Much to the frustration of investigating officers, despite the compelling argument that Bitrolf was the killer of the people discovered in and around Gilgo Beach, there was no forensic evidence to link him directly to the crimes. No smoking gun. Suffolk County Police tried to push things forward, and on January 16th, 2020, the county police commissioner released images of a black leather belt found at the crime scene with the letters H.M. or W.H., depending on the orientation of the belt. Though the commissioner didn't reveal its specific significance or at which body site it had been found, they did say they believed the belt had been handled by the killer and they hoped someone might recognise who it belonged to. Frustratingly, no one came forward. And while Bitrolf languished in prison, he remained unconnected to the Gilgo Four and the other murders committed in the area. However, soon, Bitrolf's name was eclipsed by another.
0: 59-year-old Rex Hewerman was an architect who had lived much of his life in Massapequa Park on Long Island. He drove a white Chevrolet avalanche. He had a wide-set head feasibly fitting the ogre description given by a witness years ago. Moreover, on the 4th of March 2022, the DNA found in the burlap bag flagged a match to his DNA, which was held in a file on the national database. Suffolk County Police were convinced he was their man, but they needed to prove it. And, with so much time having passed, this was no easy feat. In fact, it would take Suffolk County over 300 subpoenas and search warrants to bring the investigation to the point of arrest, inching forward with each new discovery about Rex Huerman. Initially, they were granted a warrant to search Hewerman's address, and what they found consolidated their opinion further. Huerman's mobile phone records showed he'd been in contact with three of the four victims. His phone had pinged to cell towers matching the body burial sites. And an email account linked to Hewerman and his IP address had conducted more than 200 online searches of the investigation's progress. As well as searching for sadistic materials, child pornography, and images of the victims and their relatives, he had also used search terms such as, "Why could law enforcement not trace the calls made by the Long Island serial killer? Why hasn't the Long Island serial killer been caught?" and "FBI active serial killers." Incredibly suspicious and unsavory, but not as yet concrete proof of Huerman's involvement in the murders. Most crucially. Police needed to conclusively confirm his DNA. They needed a smoking gun. They followed Huerman around Manhattan for months, tracking his movements and watching him from afar amidst the traffic, tourists, and general hustle and bustle. They needed an opportunity to obtain his DNA. And in late June 2023, one presented itself. Hewerman licked his lips and wiped his hands on his jeans as he tossed the pizza box in the bin on Fifth Avenue. But this time, this grease-stained pizza box, which represented so much pleasure, would prove to be his downfall. Officers swooped in and seized it, transporting it immediately to the lab for testing. Hewerman's fingerprints were predictably all over it, and on a discarded crust inside, was his saliva. This was tested against the mitochondrial DNA profile from the male hair collected from the burlap bag used to restrain and transport Megan Waterman's naked and deceased body. And against a buckle swab Huerman had previously provided the DNA results came back with a 99.96% degree of accuracy. And on July 13, 13th, 2023, Rex Heuerman was arrested in Midtown Manhattan and subsequently charged with the murders of 22-year-old Waterman, 24-year-old Melissa Barthelemy, and 27-year-old Amber Costello. He was also formally named the prime suspect in the death of the fourth of the Gilgo Four,
2: 25-year-old Maureen Brainard Baines. Despite the mountain of evidence against him, which include thousands of pages of records, DNA reports, and about 100 hours of surveillance video recorded outside Hewerman's home and office before his arrest, Hewerman maintains his innocence and has pleaded not guilty. The trial continues. Smoking Gun is a What's the Story original podcast series. It's narrated by me, Sarah Henderson. And by me, Tracy Alexander. The series
0: is supported by Forensic Response UK. Our work promotes the international fight to improve forensic techniques to share ideas and develop the
2: crime-solving scientific advances of the future. If you've enjoyed this episode, please give it a rating and review and help to spread the word. You can listen to a new episode of Smoking Gun every week wherever you get your podcasts.
0: When it comes to teaching kids and teens about money, practice makes perfect. That's where Greenlight comes in. With a debit card and money app of their own, kids learn to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest. Parents send instant money transfers, create custom chores, and automate allowance, while kids track their spending, set savings goals, and practice money skills they can use today and for life. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com slash podcast.
1: Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style and you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.
0: If you want to listen to all episodes right now, You can find them completely ad-free on our subscription channel, What's the Story Crime? On there, you'll also get exclusive access to a whole bunch of bonus interviews led by me, where I speak to some of the most experienced and skilled forensic scientists from around the world and find out more about what they do. Those interviews are only available on What's the Story Crime?
2: There's also a whole range of brilliant true crime content all made by the same team. You can check out The Missing with more than 60 episodes all about long-term missing people which invites you to try and help solve the case. You'll also find exclusive series like Jigsaw, true crime investigations like 900 Degrees and incredible stories told over several parts. Whatever you're into, if you enjoy listening to Smoking Gun we're sure you'll find your next must-listen podcast on What's the Story Crime? Signing up is really easy. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, just search for What's the Story Crime, subscribe, and you'll get all your favourite shows ad-free. For listeners on Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, or any other platform, all you need to do is click the link in our show notes or visit www.what'sthestorysounds.com forward slash crime. Your subscription helps to ensure we can keep making more of the content you love and it costs just £3.99 per month.